deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. A lot of things going on here, okay? But a couple things I want to point out, in particular as we think, as we move towards kind of this holiday season. Now you're thinking, wait a second, it's November 3rd. I just kind of got finished with my sugar high from Halloween. How are we entering in the holiday season? Well, if you went to Walmart today, you would think Christmas is tomorrow, okay? It is upon us. Holiday season is here. We are 52 days away from Christmas. So start getting those Amazon Prime orders in, okay? Um, but here's the first thing that we see. The promise in Zephaniah chapter 3 concerning the coming of Jesus. The ultimate return of Jesus, right? That disharmony, this discord and conflict that we experience will vanish. Think about that. Discord and conflict will vanish. We see in starting in verse 9, this stunning promise of a restoration of unity. That things get put back together the way they should. Put back together from discord that we walk in. Now, one of the things that social media has done for us is just given us the ability to just be fully immersed, fully wrapped in into the outrage of whatever is going on around us. I mean, to see the discord that not only exists in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own interpersonal relationships, but really the discord that exists in the world, right? I mean, if you're looking for something to get angry about, by the grace of God, Facebook has given you just multiple ways just to rage on whatever is going on in the world. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, doesn't even matter, all right? Here's an illustration. Two weeks ago, uh, me and my wife, we finally get our kids down, we're sitting on the couch just like trying to recover, basically, and social media is just going off, going crazy. Apparently, a guy in California said something about, not to, a well-known woman in, here in Houston, and immediately, people start taking sides, 
right? I mean, people are choosing sides, picking sides, commenting, reacting, getting mad. And we found ourselves, I found myself in this moment, and I said, how am I even involved in this? Why, why am I now wrapped up in this? This idea of discord, we see it especially as we approach an election year, right? I mean, we're not even there yet, and I'm ready for it to be over. I mean, the caricatures, the false arguments, the outright lies that occur in, in media and across our society, to do what? To fuel outrage, now, what the promise of the coming Messiah is going to do and bring that ultimately gets fulfilled at the return of the Messiah is that discord vanishes. We get this picture of unity. We get this picture of where we're brought back together. Friday night, this Friday night, I actually flew back home, uh, flew into uh, Bush Intercontinental Airport, uh, go down to the bottom floor, pick up my bag off of the carousel, and I enter out of the doors of the airport into the lovely, humid Houston air, right, where I'm immediately met with a wall of secondhand smoke and car exhaust, right? I mean, just poof, there it is. Once I got past that really disgusting wall, I saw what is arguably one of the most beautiful sights that you can possibly see, the reunion of two people. The reunion of two people that have been separated for a long time, that are holding each other for what is sociably unacceptable in any other setting, except for that setting, right? Embracing each other for longer than you probably should. We see this picture where we are ultimately brought back together. A picture of unity. So here's what happens. How does discord, how does conflict vanish? Well, we see it back in verse 9. The first thing that you see is that our lips are purified. Think about conflict. How much conflict is birthed out of the things that are said? The things that are spoken. How many of us remember, sticks and stones will break my bones, but... Words will never hurt me. Lies. Absolute lies. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. I would rather have a broken bone than some of the, the wounds that I've inflicted deep in my soul based off of words, okay? I mean, the things that are spoken wound us. The Bible is very clear that the power of life and death is within words. They build up encourage, or they functionally destroy and devastate. Jesus would say it this way. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what happens is Jesus steps in. He heals our hearts, and that begins to change our lips. And yet it doesn't change them as fast or as quickly as we would like. And anyone who got into a fight this week can quietly agree with me, okay, right? Our hearts are purified. Our lips begin to change. We're in the already but not yet. Christ has brought about in his coming, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he has started to erode out from underneath discord's foundation. And from there, he goes on to say, not only will our lips be purified, but shame will be vanquished. Shame will come to an end. Now you go, wait, well, what does shame have anything to do with discord? How does shame have anything to do with conflict? I think if we're really honest, in reality, shame is birthed in a broken heart. It's broken 
This broken heart that drives all sorts of strife, all sorts of discord. I mean, you didn't get the promotion that you thought you should. You see someone else moving faster than you. There's envy, you know. There's anger and hatred towards things. I see it in my kids all the time. You give one a toy that's slightly different from the other, doesn't matter if it's better or not. They want what the other has. This strife, this envy, this shame comes out. And what happens is when we're frustrated with ourselves, when we're angry with others or ourselves, we feel shame and guilt. And shame and guilt have this tendency to strike out, to leash out onto those that are closest to us. So our hearts are disjointed and we begin to blame others for that lack of integration. And when shame is removed, when that self-hatred is removed, when we see these destructive actions being removed around us, then unity is brought back. Christ has brought this about, right? In his first coming, he's able to heal our hearts, but we live in the space in between. We're not all there yet, but he is at work in us. He is moving in us. He is sanctifying us. He is changing us, just not as fast as we would like at times. But that's what's happening. And then lastly, he says that the arrogant boasters have been removed. See, here's the thing. Surrendering to Christ is coming to him and saying, I cannot do this myself. To become a Christian is to say, I cannot fix what's wrong with me. I have finally become exhausted with myself. You know, if I had more time and I got to share with you my story of coming to Christ, what I would basically say is there's a point in my life where I can best describe it as being broken. Broken. Whatever comes to your mind, physically, mentally, emotionally, I was broken and I realized I could no longer do it. I needed a rescuer. I needed a savior. I needed someone else that was sinless, spotless, blameless because I could not do it myself. It's a humbling thing to surrender our lives to Christ, to acknowledge I cannot do this. And if you're struggling or wrestling or a little confused at times where Christians embrace difficult circumstances, embrace difficult times, it's because it's in those difficult times that we're reminded of our deepest need and that there is a great Savior. Sometimes I truly believe that it's in the mercy of God that he allows difficult things for our good, for our eternal good, right? What I know is that in this very room, there's discord. There's discord in our homes, whether it's in our marriages or maybe with one of our children. Maybe it's with a, a sister or a brother. Maybe it's discord in our own hearts, right? We're not where we wish we were. Maybe it's global discord where we see and feel the anxiety and fear based off of all the circumstances around us. But more than likely, there's legitimate discord in our homes. You know, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. I mean, it, it is right there. And you probably have people that are coming over for Thanksgiving and you are so excited to see them. You can't wait to catch up and hang out and uh, then there's some other people that maybe are coming over and you're not so excited about seeing them. Or maybe you're heading to someone's home, right? 
Maybe you and your family are traveling. Uh, Thanksgiving is the number one travel holiday in the United States. More people travel over the Thanksgiving holiday than any other weekend. And you're traveling to someone's home, and you just know that you got to spend some time in fasting and prayer, right? Otherwise, you're just going to lose your mind when you get in front of somebody. And, and you're going to say something that you shouldn't say. So you're praying and you're fasting, but you can't fast too much because then your blood pressure, your blood sugar is going to crash. So you got to, like, eat a peanut butter cookie or something right before you go in. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to lose it when somebody it, it says something that you know they're going to say or they bring up something that you know they're going to bring up and everyone's just kind of smiling because you know who I'm talking about, right? That's it. That's the discord. This is where we live. This is what I'm talking about. This is real. This is the tension that we all feel and experience. That's what I'm talking about. This discord, this conflict, it is going to vanish. It is going to, but not yet. We're in the already, but not yet, which means Christ has come. He has lived. He has died. He has resurrected from the grave. He has sealed us as his children. And discord is starting to lose its weight. It's starting to lose its power. But right now, Right now, we're being refined by his love. We're in that refining work that takes place in the discord, in the conflict. See, here's the thing. I don't want you to miss this. Discord, the conflict, it reveals something about us, doesn't it? It shows us things that we wouldn't normally see ourselves. Discord begins to reveal some things that are true about us that we would never admit otherwise. And it gives us this opportunity. Don't miss it. It gives you an opportunity to confess. It gives you an opportunity to repent. And it gives you an opportunity to grow. Without it, we would never experience or see these things. Because we don't want to. We're in the already but not yet. We look back and we praise and we thank God for Jesus Christ, for his first coming, for saving us, for loosening the power of sin and death and discord and conflict. We trust in his steady hand, the master surgeon, his refining fire to burn away the dross to pull out the idols in our lives and to make us more and more like Jesus while simultaneously looking forward to the future, to that consummation of Christ's return when all things are made new. We live in the space in between. We live in this place where we wrestle and we fight and we cling to the cross. But then finally there comes a day where we just get to breathe and say it is done. Which is why I believe John the Apostle, he says in the book of Revelation, he says it is done. Not it is finished, but it is done. Behold, I make all things new. It is finished. It is finished. Versus it is done. Here the power of discord and conflict is over. Christ's first coming, he said, it is finished. He defeated sin and death. And then finally, it is done. We live in the in-between. You know, this is one of the reasons why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate communion to remember, right? To remember and look back on what has occurred, 
to look forward in hope and joy, but to then have peace here and now. And we see that when discord and conflict vanishes, what it does is it it brings joy, that joy can become our default mode here and now in living. And you go, how is that possible? We see joy becomes our default uh, living back in verse 14. Here's what it says, verse 14. Sing, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. I love the language, right? Son and daughter. It's intimate. It's personal, right? There's a connection. You're not distant from God. You are part of the family of God. Listen to this. The Lord has taken away your punishment. Somebody say amen. Come on. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. You see this shift from pronouncement of blessing to now, hey, sing, rejoice, praise God, be glad in your heart. Now, if, if we think for a second, why is God commanding us to sing? Why would he command us to, to praise him verbally? What is it that occurs when our head and our heart are connected through singing? I mean, think about music has this effect on us. Right? There's something unique that happens. Um, I don't know the last time you were in the gym. The last time I went to the gym to go work out or whatever, basically everyone has some sort of headphones on, right? I mean, you look over. I went to a gym, and they had this whole section, which is really for, like, the serious big guys with, like, the really big weights that I couldn't lift with two hands. And I see a guy, and he's got, like, the full-on, like, helmet on with the ear, you know, and he's just jamming out. Like, he's in a corner, and he, I don't know what he's listening to, but I guarantee you it's not classical music. I mean, he is bumping something, right? I walked by, and I could hear it, you know, and he is getting amped. I mean, this bro is getting amped, and he's breathing and going, and he grabs big weights that, I mean, they could have been cinder blocks, I mean, and he just, ah, you, you know. Music has this effect on us. There's something that occurs. The Bible commands us, rejoice, shout, be glad. And it's not because God is having a bad day that he needs you to sing him a song. No, 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 no. There's something about us, for whatever reason, when we sing, that God has ordained it, that singing connects our head and our hearts and our affections to who God is. They're stirred. You know, I think that maybe the way that we approach singing, the way that we approach worship and shouting and enjoying God might be a testimony to maybe how free we are in Christ. What limits our singing? What limits our hands going high before him, clapping, rejoicing? Is it nervousness about the dude in front of us that he thinks like, Somebody's killing a cat behind them. I mean, what, what is it that holds us back? I'll be honest. Um, 
I have uh, worshipped with some brothers and sisters in Christ from other parts of the world. And uh, they have a freedom that I have seen in them that I am jealous of. They are freer than I am. They're hooping and hollering and jumping and praising and, and enjoying their Savior. And I was kind of just over here in my corner and just, you know, doing my thing. And, and they were freer than I am. I'm, I'm not going to lie, right? There's something that happens when we give ourselves over to sing and praise and rejoice. I think it, it can help mark maybe how free we are, how bold we are, how much we are rejoicing. And it helps connect our heads and our hearts, which I believe is why the Bible on repeat commands us to sing, to rejoice, to shout, to clap our hands, to bow our heads, to rejoice and be glad. There's something about involving our bodies. Now you say, what's the motivation? You know, should I just be making noise and action for external flair? No, what's the motivation? What's the, the how and the why behind the sing and the rejoice with all our hearts? I'm glad you asked because in verse 15, the text answers the question. Why do we sing? Why do we shout? Why do we clap? Why do we rejoice with all our hearts? Verse 15, our punishment has been removed. Our punishment has been removed. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. That's why we shout. That's why we praise. We praise the one who has taken away our shame and our guilt and our punishment. That is awesome. Our punishment has been removed. We are lawbreakers. We have rebelled against God. And Christ has taken our punishment. That is true now. Christian, on judgment day, it has already occurred for you at the cross of Christ. Now, we will stand before God and give an account for all our actions. But just for illustration points, imagine on that day when you're re reunited with Christ in heaven and they, they bring that folder, right? The accusations against you of your life. And I just want you to envision that it is dripping with the blood of Christ. And they open up your file. And on that first page, it says, spotless, holy, blameless. Not because of you, not because of me, but because of the blood of Christ. For what he has done for you. In your place. Defeated sin, conquered death. That is what Christ has done. That is why we sing. That is why we praise. That is why we stir our affections. Then I love in verse 17 how it says, Our God is a mighty warrior who saves. I love the imagery of a God, of a warrior, mighty to save. You know, that, that language of who Jesus actually defeated. You know, I can imagine, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I'm weird this way. I just envision these things, you know, like one day we're going to be up in heaven and just hanging out with Jesus, kicking it with the apostles, you know. And Jesus is going to be like, hey, you remember that time I, uh, I defeated death? Pretty cool, huh? It's like, yeah, that was awesome, dude. That was amazing. That was so cool. And it's like our God now, he's a warrior, right? And it's like, what 
What enemy could you or I have that the warrior God of the universe wouldn't just like smirk at? Like, I defeated death, you know? It, you, you, I don't know if you ever heard that comedian where he uses the analogy of like, imagine if you were one of the guys that like walked on the moon, right? You know, and, and everyone's uh, being like uh, trying to outdo each other. It's like, oh, well, this one time I, you know, I climbed the Grand Canyon or the, I, Mount Everest. Da, da, da. And he's just sitting there and he's like, hmm. Yeah, I remember that time that I was one of only uh, three other guys that was on uh, the moon landing. You know, it's just like it outdoes everybody. There's nothing else that you could bring that compares. There's no enemy that you can bring before God that he's like, hey, I've already vanquished death. Whatever your issue, whatever your problem, whatever your fear, your concern, bring it before me. Our God is a warrior, and he takes great delight in you according to the text. I love it when it says, God rejoices over us in singing. Here's a question that I don't have an answer to. Just something for you to think about. God rejoices over you. He sings over you. If the the spoken word of God, if God says, let it be light, his spoken word, and the universe is still expanding today, what power, what does that mean that God speaks and sings over you? Don't have an answer. Something for you to think about. And then verse 18, we see there will be no more mourning. And verse 19, no more oppression. The lame will be rescued. The exiles be gathered. And then in verse 20, we will be brought home. I love this in verse 20. I mean, I think if we're honest, we all have a bit of this restlessness in our hearts. Um, We have this anticipation that one day restlessness will come to an end. I think about my own life and just growing up, and it's like, I couldn't wait to get to high school, you know? And then I get to high school, and I couldn't wait to get a car. And then I couldn't wait to get out of high school and get to college. And then I couldn't wait to get out of college, right? And then I couldn't wait to find a guy or a girl to marry. And then you find somebody, and I couldn't wait to have a kid. And then I couldn't wait for that kid to go to school. And then I couldn't wait for that kid to get out of school, you know? It's just... You know, rest, we're always, whatever it is, looking towards that next thing. I'm not quite there yet. It's persistent. It doesn't always go away. And this is true about us right now in Christ. We live in that space in between, the refining fire of God's love. It's purifying. It's transforming work for our good. We long for the second advent where we will be reunited with Christ again, the coming of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, we find our hearts have a home with him. We anticipate the coming of Christ, but we see all these things here and now as a shadow of a greater reality. What we're doing here and now, it's meant to dial us in, in a way, to the greater significance, to anticipate that day where being disappointed will be impossible. You know, I think of just some of the most beautiful sights you can see. You know, a sunset, but it's fleeting, right? The change in weather and leaves, but it's fleeting. There's always disappointment. We look back on the coming of Christ, and we rejoice in what's true here and now. We sing, we shout, we rejoice because these things are true now. Our punishment has been removed. That is true now. Fear is losing its power over us. That is true now. We've moved farther. We've grown. We've seen God work in us. God is a mighty warrior who has saved and continues to battle on our behalf. 
There's loss of the power of mourning over our lives. We mourn, but we don't mourn like those who don't have hope. We mourn like those who do have a hope. We sit in that. We rejoice in that while looking for the second coming, pleading for the second coming. This is why the book of Revelation really ends with John saying, Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. You know, I thought of a way to end our time together. It's really just doing what the text would have us to do, to rejoice, to sing, to shout. I want to pray for us, and we're going to practice that. I hope that's okay. And we're going to take communion together, and it's going to be that opportunity for us to remember what Christ has done for us. We're going to practice singing, practice rejoicing, because these things are true here and now. We look back, we look to the future, and we're comforted where we are here now. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for this opportunity to make much of your name. I thank you, Father, that we are closer right now than we've ever been. The second advent is closer today than it was yesterday. It's closer... now than it was when we woke up this morning. It's closer than when we even started this service. We are closer to all things being made new, to all things being restored and repaired, all things being fully brought back together for what your son has purchased. Father, I pray that you would remind our hearts Free up our hearts to sing and shout and free to be free and rejoice in who you are. Thank you that our punishment has been removed. That the fear of harm is waning. That you are a mighty warrior who saves. Thank you that you have transformed our mourning, freed us from oppression, and that you have settled our hearts so we can be settled in your truth. We eagerly anticipate that second coming. Help us to let this truth go deep into our hearts. It's for your beautiful, glorious name of Jesus Christ we pray. And all God's people said, amen.